Well, welcome to Lesson 3, Strength for the Journey, Empowered by the Spirit. So this morning we're going to be taking a look at our doctrine of the Holy Spirit, which in fancy theological terms is called pneumatology. Pneumatology. And if you look on page 1, that second paragraph down, I think it's important for us to remember that God never intended believers merely to trudge on in their own strength. In fact, one of the great promises of Scripture, as it says in that paragraph, comes at the very end of the book of Matthew, what we call the Great Commission. Quoting from Jesus here, he said, And behold, I, Jesus, am with you always to the end of the age. So, Jesus obviously rose from the dead. He obviously ascended into heaven. Jesus is obviously seated at the right hand of the Father. Scripture tells us that. So how is Jesus with us? Well, the answer is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Jesus, when he ascended, he then um, was enthroned at the right hand of the Father. And if you remember when we preached out of the book of Acts, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was given, if you recall, after the Holy Spirit was given in power, Peter said... This is because Jesus is enthroned. So, God the Father sent God the Son. God the Son lived the perfect life, died a sacrificial death, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and is ascended on the right hand of the Father. And then God the Son sent God the Spirit. Now remember, they're all three God. They're all three equal. But they have different roles in the Godhead. Very important for us to... To understand that. So this is very Trinitarian. This is very biblical. And so let's let's examine here the role of God, the Holy Spirit, being given to us. God the Holy Spirit being given to us. So number one, the Holy Spirit, God's active presence. God's active presence. There's an interesting definition here that Wayne Grudem uh, gives us of omnipresence. Omnipresence. And it's this. It's that paragraph underneath number Roman numeral 1 on page 1, the Holy Spirit, God's active presence. God is omnipresent. Here's what that means. Present at all places, at all times, and with all of his being. Now, this is where God and man are different. I am not present at all places and at all times. And even when I am physically present here, there's sometimes I'm not here with all my being, like this morning. It's unusually cold in Miami. I don't do well in the cold weather. And uh, I've had some late nights. So I'm here. I'm not sure if I'm here with all my being. God's different than us. Imagine this. He's everywhere at all times with his whole being. So he doesn't space out like we do, you know, like you're with your spouse or you're with your kids and they're just kind of staring at them and they're going, hey, hello, are you there? God's never like that. He is fully here at all times. That's called his omnipresence. He does that by the Holy Spirit. Remember we talked about this in the economy of salvation. God the Father sent God the Son. God the Son did the work of redemption ascended, is enthroned, and then God the Son sent God the Spirit, and God the Spirit is one who's with us and applies the work of redemption. Look at John 1, 
1 and 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory. Glory is the, the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, once Jesus departed and ascended and was enthroned, He sent the Holy Spirit, which is what He promised in John 14, 16 through 18. <clears throat> and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that's the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So, again, quoting Wayne Grudem, the work of the Holy Spirit is to manifest the active presence of God in the world, and especially in the church. So, let's go back to the beginning paragraph. God doesn't want us to just trudge on. I mean, you know, we're just grinding it out. I mean, there, there is a sense where we kind of grind it out a little bit. Yes, I've, I've, absolutely. There's a sense where we have discipline. If some of you guys work out, you know, if you've ever worked out, pump weights, you know, there, there's a sense where you just got to get to the gym at 5 in the morning and work. I get that. But there should be a joy in Christianity that the Holy Spirit is really empowering us and carrying us. Look at that last paragraph. Uh, on the bottom of page one there of lesson three, Christians have the great privilege not only of trusting in God's omnipresence, but of personally experiencing his nearness. It's one thing for you and me to have the theological understanding and really go, wow. You know, God is present at all places, at all times, and with all his being. That's, it's one thing to understand that intellectually. I want you to understand that intellectually. That's good doctrine. Oh, friends, it's not either or. We can also experience him. We can experience his nearness. Now, now listen to me. In many churches, remember I told you about, you want to look for a church that is based on the gospel. Okay, in many churches, you have sort of a polarization. All right? I'm not sure that's the right word, but I'll explain it, then you figure out if it's the right word or not. You have one of two things that happen. Either the church is very good doctrinally. They nail it with the gospel. They nail it with theology. I mean, they're defending the truth. But the experiential side of God can be missing. It's good. But but the feeling of it, the emotion of it, the... I don't know how else to express it. People with their brains really stuck with good theology, but sometimes it doesn't make it to their face because they're a little stern. You understand what I'm saying? And then on the other extreme, you have churches where like they feel God everywhere. You know, I mean, like they just say hello and they start screaming and yelling and singing hallelujah and, and they're clapping each other on the back and they're just really happy. They don't know why they're happy, but they're just really happy. And they, the, the, the emotion of it all is there. And churches tend to, to polarize. They tend to be one or the other. Uh, my, my experience when, when I was, when I came to the Lord, when the Lord drew me to himself, I responded. Um, it, it was in a more charismatic environment where there was a lot of shouting and screaming and, and hallelujahing and praying and actually seeing miracles. And I felt the presence of God like very real. But there was a lack of theology. So then I went to Reformed Theological Seminary. And um, 
there was tremendous truth, and I loved it. I'll never forget one of my first classes with R.C. Sproul back in the early 90s. I think it was 91. And he taught on the holiness of God. Taught at that time. He taught on the holiness of God. My first class there at RTS, Systematic One. And man, when he was done teaching on the holiness of God, I was ready to jump up and down and just start worshiping God for an hour with the live band and screaming and yelling and, you know, and I just noticed a lot of my, my classmates, they were like, okay, break, let's go, let's go play ping pong. And I was like, whoa, this is interesting. In fact, when, when I came into the Lord, just opened my mind to the doctrines of grace to reform theology to a more covenantal view of scripture and the rich truths, I realized that that, that is what should cause us to be the most exuberant experiential people in the world. Jonathan Edwards would have argued that back in the Great Awakening. But in most churches, it either go to one or the other. I don't know why. I don't know why. At Palm Vista, we're trying to be both. I'm not sure it's working because it's not like we're a huge mega church. <laughs> but there's hope. There's hope that, that we, can, we are not afraid to raise our hands and, and to believe that God still works miraculously and experience his presence with us, as it says here, his nearness. But also advocate reading really thick books with really small print and not very many pictures. And understand big words like propitiation and omnipresence and omnipotence, which I'm going to be talking about this morning. And understand the doctrines of grace. And be able to articulate them. To even use a word like articulate, you know. Um, that's our hope okay? and it's the Holy Spirit that you're going to see what you're going to find about Palm Vista Community Church is that we are a church that is reformed in our doctrine and continuationist as well now we're going to, I'm going to explain that might as well explain it now when it comes to the, to the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit Again, this is not primary. We de- dealt with the primary a couple of weeks ago in the gospel. It's important, but it's not primary. There are sort of two camps. Did, did the miraculous gifts cease, which are called cessationist, or do the miraculous gifts continue, continuations? Well, we're continuations, which is rare in a world of reformed theology. So just so you know, which may also explain why we're still very small. Uh, because typically the guys with the big brains that want to go deep into theology, which Reformed theology tends to, aren't the real touchy-feely experiential guys. I think, I think we could be both. And I want to challenge you to be both. That you wouldn't just know right doctrine. Well, please do. It starts there. But then you would know the joy, the fire, the passion of God with you. You're not depending on that. There's days you're not going to feel anything. But you're not excluding that. It's just emotionless. And that's why we, we, we worship the way we do. You know, those songs should ignite us, I think, into some pretty exuberant worship. Okay, not in the notes, but I thought I'd go there. Bottom of page one is where we're still at. We should not only know his omnipresence, <clears throat> but personally experience his nearness. Look at Romans 8, 15, and 16. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery <clears throat> to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Top of page two. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. How does he do that? 
If God is real and He's with us, there's going to be a time that we sense that. There's going to be some subjective side to this thing. We want objective truth. It starts there. But there is a subjective side. There's a sense of what is God doing and communicating that to me. So God's active presence among His people accomplishes many things to include dramatic aspects such as miracles, healings, or prophecy. We believe in those of this church. That's why we're continuations. We believe that they're to be done decently in order, but we believe in them. And we actually believe that you're supposed to pursue them. I'm going to get to that in the Roman numeral 4 in this lesson. Alright, so let's look at a broad work of the Spirit. By the way, those who would believe in the continuation of the gifts, sometimes they've been called charismatics or Pentecostals. Um, I don't like those words because I think they're a little imprecise, though we are charismatic. We are not Pentecostal. We are charismatic. But that's such a broad word, and included in that word are some people that I don't even know if they're Christians, but they're on TV, (laughs) and they do a lot of crazy stuff. I prefer continuationist. I'll take charismatic. That's fine. All right? What, what happens, though, with people like that is when they talk about the Holy Spirit, they only talk about one aspect of the Holy Spirit's work, and usually those are the miracles. We don't want to deny that. But it's a broad work of the Spirit. So, for example, the Holy Spirit, what does he do? He's God's saving power. He's got God's active presence. He is God, by the way. <laughs> okay? God's active presence, the Holy Spirit. God's saving presence, it's the Holy Spirit. Look, the new birth is applied by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the one that causes your dead heart to become alive. The Holy Spirit is the one that applies what Jesus did on the cross to you. Titus 3, 4 through 7. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal by of what? Of whom? the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Do you see the Trinity there? Some people say, oh, I don't see the word Trinity in Scripture. There you see the Trinity. God the Father pouring out the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ the Son. It's beautiful Trinitarian theology. So that being justified by his grace, we may become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Number three, Roman numeral three on page two. The Holy Spirit is God, God's purifying presence. We talked about this last week. Remember that big word, sanctification? Being like Jesus. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. We looked at that passage in 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Have you ever heard of the fruit of the Spirit? As our lives are made new, the Spirit dwells in us and there's a fruit of the Spirit. It's like like if I plant a a grapefruit tree. Okay, I was in Cuba just recently and we're uh, helping them with the farm that that they're purchasing through the church. The government's allowing it. It's a new thing. And uh, they're going to be raising fruit and pigs. Fruit and pigs. So they planted a thousand mango trees and 800 guava trees, which will in two years produce a tremendous, tremendous harvest. Well, when you plant, I saw the little mango trees, they're maybe two feet tall, right? 
Well, what's that tree going to produce? Mangoes. It's a mango tree, right? Well, as Christians, we have new life. What do we produce? Well, we produce the fruit of the Spirit. See that? All right. So Galatians 5, 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So we're Christians. We produce what we are. Mango trees produce mangoes. They don't produce apples. Write that down, Robert. Mango trees produce mangoes, not apples. Okay. Number four, the Holy Spirit, God's empowering presence. Now, here's the one I want to camp on. I think everybody's kind of tracking with me on the first three. Everybody agrees on the first three. It's, it's Roman numeral four that now you've got the whole continuationist cessationist deal going here. God's empowering presence. At Palm Vista Community Church, top of page three, I'm reading from the text. At Palm Vista Community Church believes that God actively empowers and gives spiritual gifts to all of his people to build his church. All right? And that's called being a continuationist. So we are committed to the following. A common passion for the Spirit. If you look in, in, in 1 Corinthians 12, 31, God, through Paul, says, eagerly desire the greater gifts. Eagerly desire the greater gifts. So God gives us the Spirit without limit. God pours out the Spirit on us generously. Therefore, we want to honor the Holy Spirit. Now, J.I. Packer writes the following. Believers honor the Holy Spirit when they give Him His way in their lives and when His ministry of exalting Christ and convincing of sin, sinking them ever lower and raising Christ ever higher in their estimate, goes on unhindered and unquenched. The records of all fruitful times in the church's past confirm this. So we're giving thanks as it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, in all circumstances. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. I think, I, see, I think you see where I'm going here. We want to honor the work of the Spirit. We want to know that the Spirit empowers, the Spirit regenerates, the Spirit saves, the Spirit sanctifies, and the Spirit also gives gifts. So we don't want to dishonor the Spirit when it comes to these gifts. And Scripture literally says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now let me make a distinction here. This being filled with the Spirit, we would see in distinction to being baptized in the Spirit. And this is where we would differ from a classic charismatic or Pentecostal definition here. So being filled with the Spirit is something that is ongoing. Being baptized with the Spirit is something that happened to you when you were saved at salvation. Let's drop down into the notes. So Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit. That word filled is the Greek word plerao. Plerao. And it's an ongoing sense. So the, the grammatical state of that word plerao is, is actually be being filled. It's, it's, it's ongoing. It's ongoing. Perpetually filled with the Spirit. Martin Lloyd-Jones would say this, 
be not drunk with wine, but go on being filled with the Spirit. Be perpetually filled with the Spirit. Let it go on. Let it continue. Let it be your constant condition. And you have many uses of this word. You see at the bottom of page 3, particularly in Acts, and the top of page 4. So what are we saying? One baptism and many fillings. You were filled with the Spirit. Excuse me. You were baptized with the Spirit when you were saved. Scripture is clear about that. You could not be saved if you were not baptized with the Spirit. The Spirit's who gave you life. The Spirit baptizes you into the body of Christ, baptizes you into Christ, adopts you. you that's when you were baptized with the Holy Spirit. But were to be filled continually. Sam Storms, who I think has some good literature on this stuff, says the following. This is not so much a dramatic or decisive experience that settles things for good, but a daily appropriation. A daily appropriation. So, for example, if you were in a charismatic church or a Pentecostal church, they would, they would talk to you about being baptized with the Spirit as an experience. And in, uh, in, in Cuba, they would say uh, la promesa, or they would say, um, uh, they would say waiting, you know, tarrying until God gives you the promise. And you're almost like not a full-fledged Christian until you're baptized with the Spirit, and typically with a, an, an evidence of speaking in tongues. We would say that that occurs as salvation. And we would say that tongues is one of the gifts of the Spirit God would give you, but that you're to be filled ongoingly with the Spirit. There are many gifts. He may give you tongues, he may not. He may give you healing, he may not. Don't discount it, but don't think it's something you have to wait for subsequent to salvation. No, no. Baptism of the Spirit occurs as salvation, but you're to be filled with the Spirit ongoingly. You're to seek the gifts of the Spirit. That's what it says at the bottom there of page 4. Look at 1 Corinthians 14, 1a. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Now what do you do with that? If you, if you define spiritual gifts down from what Scripture defines them, then I suppose you can say, I'm, I'm, I'm eagerly desiring spiritual gifts by doing X, Y, and Z that does not include the, include the miraculous. But friends... I don't believe that's what Scripture teaches. I believe Scripture teaches that all of the gifts are available to us today and that we're to eagerly desire them and not exclude them because they're miraculous. Nor are we to say that we're to so venerate the miraculous that we don't honor those gifts that are less spectacular. Both end. Why? What's the purpose of the gifts? Where does 1 Corinthians 14 start? Look at the bottom of page 4 again. Follow the way of love. See, the gifts of the Spirit are given to build up the body of Christ. What's the great commandment? Love God, love your neighbor. What's the great commission? Make disciples of all the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the great commandment and the great commission work together. So spiritual gifts aren't a standalone feature of Christianity that makes meetings more interesting and kind of a little crazy. The gifts of the Spirit aren't something to make me like look like some great Christian. No, 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 no. The gifts of the Spirit are designed to fulfill the great commandment. 
love one another, love God and love one another, and the Great Commission, make disciples of all the nations. How do you make disciples? You plant churches, you build churches. We need the power of the Spirit to do that. We need the gifts of the Spirit to build this up. Do you see the difference? So it's not about the gifts. That's where we, I think, make a mistake. For or against. No, 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 no. It's about the Great Commandment, the Great Commission. It's fulfilled in us, and we need power to do that. I'll just give you a quick example. We, we need the gift of teaching. Guess what? To lesser or greater extent, you're participating in that gift right now. You who are listening to me right now. I am doing this by the gift of the Holy Spirit. Hopefully this isn't just me trying to force this and trudge through it, grind out another starting point class at 8.30 in the morning, 8.45 in the morning on a really cold morning in Miami. No. I refuse to do Christianity that way. Now, I have joy in my heart. Right? Just as a man or a woman could be gifted in an athletic endeavor or, or a, a business endeavor or whatever endeavor, and people can benefit from that gifting, I'm gifted of the Spirit to teach. And there's joy in my heart. Hopefully there's joy in yours as you listen. Do you see that? So that one we say, oh yeah, I, I understand that gift. But what if I gave you a prophetic word right now? Or spoke in tongues and interpreted that? Or lay hands on you and prayed for you to be healed? God could gift me to do any of those. And I think that's legitimate. What you need right now is the gift of teaching for me to teach well. Do you see? The purpose is to build up the body of Christ, not just to experience something really cool, you know, like sort of like a spiritual Disney world, but to build you up. Okay? All right, top of page five. So, the Spirit is given what? To give us boldness and effectiveness and witness. We know that. To prompt worship and thanksgiving in hearts. Right now in that auditorium, Zeke is leading the worship team. Hopefully they're gifted. They are gifted the Spirit to lead us in worship so we would glorify God. So that we would grow in godliness. So we would strengthen one another. Look at that 1 Corinthians 12, 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. What? For the common good. There's people strumming guitars right around the corner waiting to lead our children in worship. There's people setting up all of the signs so people can drive by here. Those are gifts of the Spirit, guys. Right? That's why I tell people, don't call me Pastor Al. Why? I am just functioning in my gift. It happens to be the gift of leadership and of teaching, which makes me public, but it doesn't make me any better than you. Please. I don't call you Plumber Joe. You know, or Cruise Line Executive Mike, or, you know, Barista David, or Church Planner David, or Child Specialist Development Jasmine. Be weird, right? Be like, hello, I'm Mike. Hello, I'm Al. Right? You should honor a pastor, sure, I got that. But that doesn't, there's nothing inherent in me. I'm just flowing in my gift. And that person that's flowing in their gift setting up right now, it's just as important. It may get a greater gift, may get a greater reward, because they may be more faithful than me, because no one will ever say, hey, thanks for setting up today. You know? Okay? We all need those gifts. We all need those gifts. The supernatural and the natural. That's what page five is all about. If you read page five, what you will see there are all the gifts of the Spirit. As a matter of fact, let me read those to you, because I want Scripture to predominate here. Many people would say these are lists of gifts. They are 
I don't believe they're comprehensive lists. I think they're representative lists. But listen to these gifts. And remember, they're given so that the church might be um, grow in unity for the common good. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. We believe all these gifts exist today, and you should pursue them, friends. Let me be clear about that. We want to stir them up in our church, because we need them. But it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To, the, to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another, another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. We're supposed to seek them. God is the one that apportions them as He wills. That's why you should never boast in a gift you have. Because guess what? You received it as God willed, not, not as you deserved. Isn't that beautiful? But seek it, because we need it. We need you. And then Romans 12, 3-8. These also are, are gifts of the Spirit. Less spectacular gifts, but every bit as necessary gifts. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. There you go. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given us. You didn't earn them. God gave it to you. Let us then use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes. Did you know there's a gift of giving? In generosity. The one who leads with zeal. Leaders should be zealous. The one who acts who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So God gives the gifts. We must exercise them according to the faith He gives us. Roman numeral 5, pursuing God's presence, empowering presence together. Page 5 now, turn to page 6. <clears throat> How do we exercise the gifts? Well, by the Spirit. In what context? Well, here are the contexts that we would see. First of all, we would see them being exercised in a Sunday celebration. We're worshiping the Lord, we're receiving from the Lord, we're ministering to one another. You, the, I think the Bible commands you, when it says in Ephesians 5, do not be drunk but be filled with the Spirit, also in that area it says, each one should come with a psalm, a hymn, a spiritual song. You, you should come to Sunday mornings ready to give to others. First of all to God, but then to others. But then there's other corporate times getting together, what we call community groups. I think this is where many, many, many of the gifts of the Spirit can flow. In our community group two weeks ago, there was prayer for married couples. A, the Lord seemed to lead us subjectively that we're to pray for married couples. B, we started praying for married couples and some people had prophetic words for them. Those would be things they hadn't thought of before, 
things that are under the judgment of Scripture to make sure nothing crazy is said. But like, I see a picture of you and your wife, and it's, it's like the Lord gave it to that person. And, and some of these couples started crying. It's like it really touched their heart. When you read 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, you see these gifts flowing that way. And I think in our small groups, we want to foster that. But it doesn't have to just happen on a Wednesday night or a Tuesday night or a Saturday night whenever your community group meets or on a Sunday morning. But it can happen when you have lunch today with someone. What we want to do, bottom of page six, is to, is to, is to encourage, whether in our youth parent ministry, our singles ministry, community groups, uh, the active presence of God together that we're seeking, worshiping, teaching, applying God's word, top of page seven. We need it, guys. We should never be satisfied with anything less than the nearness of God, his active presence. I'm just going to read that last paragraph. He has promised to draw near to us, and he empowers us by the Holy Spirit to glorify him and serve him more effectively as he accomplishes his purposes through the church. I think to be a Christian is to be marked by the presence of God. We are spiritual one. Pneumatikos, I think is that Greek word. You hear the word pneuma? Pneumatic device, spirit. We're to be spiritual ones. Our lives are marked by the presence of the Spirit of God because of what Christ has done. To be a Christian is to be marked by the presence of God and how gracious He is to give us the Holy Spirit to empower us for our lives, our service to Him, and our life together as a church. It's not just about me, but it's about us together to build the church. How desperately we need this and how wondrous it is that we can pursue this in faith and do so together. And let me just pray for us. Just feel Right now, I feel led by the Spirit to pray and have it recorded on this. So if you just bow your heads with me, let's just pray. Lord, I pray not only for this class hearing me right now this morning on, on, on February 17, 2013, but perhaps to those that are listening digitally or perhaps in the years to come going through this material, that it wouldn't just be something that's in our heads. Oh, it starts there. We need to understand doctrine. But Lord, we would, we would experience your nearness, your presence to save, to purify, and to empower. Lord, to encourage one another for the good of others, for the building of your church, for the declaring of the gospel, for planting churches and making disciples with the gospel. Oh, Lord, we need it. And we ask for it. And I pray my friends listening to me right now, live, would experience it wherever they're at. Those listening digitally, Lord, build your church, Jesus. May the gates of hell not prevail against it. May your name be glorified in our community. It's my prayer, Lord. Thank you for pouring your spirit on us. Fill me, even this morning, to preach. So I'll be doing that in just about half an hour. I trust you, Lord. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thanks for coming. Thanks for listening.